Welcome. I'm glad you're here tonight. Man, I'm glad you're here. Lord bless you. Oh, we have got Jerry Lazarone. Touch him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Doing good, brother. How you doing? Good to see you, buddy. Hi, sis. How you doing? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Good to see you tonight. You know, you're smart if you come to church. You get to turn the heaters off at the house and save electricity. Uh, and more people we got here, the warmer it is. We don't have to use much electricity either. Hallelujah. But we're glad you're here. We bless you. I want to congratulate Brother Darrell for being Grandpa again this week. Hallelujah. I know he don't look like it. Number three. But he married, he, he married young, so that's, hallelujah, we're proud of him. And I don't want to embarrass her, but it's good to have a little Valerie here tonight. Uh, that's Brother Daryl's daughter-in-law, and it's her husband that went to Iraq uh, right after Christmas that we're praying for, Daryl's son. And uh, it's just good to have her back in this neck of the woods again. So we praise God for her and each one of you. And we just bless you tonight. Good to see you. Glad you came. Some people said this is their New Year's resolution is to come on Wednesday night. So I'm glad to know a few more are going to heaven besides me. So God bless you. Hallelujah. I want to make a few announcements starting tomorrow night. We have the unity meeting we have yearly at Zion Hill. A number of ministers going to be there. And then Sunday night, please remember this. It'll be in the bulletin. But if you never heard Brother Sergio Scottaglini, awesome evangelist in Argentine who's been living here in the States, a great man of God, he's going to be here Sunday night ministering. So if you've never heard him, you want to make sure that you come and be blessed. He's a great man of God. And then C20, which is our youth and college career, they'll be meeting uh, here at 6.30, January the 11th. You can see Sister Joy. Of course, she's back there with the youth tonight. And uh, they'll be having a wild time, and they're going to be having a good time together. And we just praise God for them. I want to go to Genesis chapter 4 and just share something with you. Genesis chapter 4, I want to remind you, Sunday morning, we're going to be having a good time. The Lord's really been dealing with me about some things, and I just believe it's going to be encouragement to you. Genesis chapter 4, verse 5. It's going to be a good time tonight. Forgot, forgot my watch and my ring. So while my wife's not in here, just want you all to know I'm married. But I forgot my watch and ring and everything. I'm just so much caught up in the second heaven that I just forgot, you know, anyway. But uh, anyway, I forgot my watch, so that's a, that's a good sign. Huh, isn't it? Who's going to lend me a watch? <laughs> okay, I'll need it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 5. You know about Cain and Abel, but I want to show you this part. Verse 5, talking about Cain. But he, speaking of God, did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And, and what I want to share with you about that is one thing that I was meditating on. One thing that Cain and Abel was taught from their mom and dad, Adam and Eve, was the reverence and the authority of the blood of atonement. They knew that they were covered. Every time they put those skins on, they knew that a sacrifice was made so that they could have a covering. And they knew the power of the blood of an atonement. And they didn't, Cain did not show reverence and faith in the blood of atonement. He offered up something without blood, and therefore it was not acceptable to God because he didn't have faith in the blood or in the atonement. But I just wanted to encourage you tonight and remind you 
that we have a blood that speaks over us, which is greater than the blood of Cain or Abel or anyone else. I want you to the blood of Jesus speaks redemption and power and glory over you. It speaks cleansing, speaks forgiveness. It speaks righteousness and justification. And there's one thing we don't ever want to forget. We don't ever want to lose faith in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we get up in the morning, to, going through the day, whatever coming our way, we got to remember, thank God for the power of the covenant. Thank God for the power of the blood of the atonement. That there was a sacrifice made for you and I. There was a sacrifice of Christ who gave his life for you and I. And Cain may not have honored that offering, but we do tonight. We honor the offering and the gift of Jesus Christ that was given for you and I. And I just like, right alongside of you, I'm here tonight to worship and thank God for the lamb. That as the lamb was sacrificed, God himself took a lamb and killed it. Took the skin off of it and clothed Adam and Eve because they saw their nakedness. I want to thank God that we have been clothed in Christ Jesus. I want to thank God for that offering that he gave his life for us. And I just want to bless you. And I just want to thank God that your home is covered by the blood. So the death, death passes over your home. I want to thank God for the blood that covers your home, your family, and your marriage. I want to thank God for the blood of Jesus, the offering of his blood over your children and your grandchildren. I want to thank God for the blood of Jesus over this area, this state, and over this nation. I want to thank God that there are still remnant of people who worship the precious and honor the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. Without blood, there is no remission of sin. So I want to thank God for that. And I just want to encourage you, keep your eyes on the Lamb. Keep your eyes and thank God for that offering of blood for your and my righteousness and justification. Amen. So I want to have the ushers come forward. Let's get ready to receive tonight's offerings and tithe. And Father, we come before you and we thank you that we have an opportunity to give to you. Give to your work. Give it to the nations and the poor and the ministries. We want to thank you for the offering of Christ Jesus that has redeemed us and set us free. We thank you that our names are in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you that if there's someone who wandered in here tonight that don't know you, tonight's their night to have an encounter with the Almighty. We praise you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church.
praise the Lord that he will see you through it. Just praise him that he'll see you whatever you're going through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God he'll see you through it. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, go with me please to the book of Romans. But instead of Romans 1 right now, Romans chapter 3. I want to start off and just read something to you in Romans chapter 3. Uh, last year we've st started studying the book of Romans. And uh, we have not got through it. Uh, we may get through tonight with chapter 1. And so maybe we can do chapter 2 in the year 2010. But uh, no, we'll go through it faster than that. But God's word is so rich. I want to share something with you tonight. And uh, I want to welcome everybody watching for internet. The Lord bless you. And uh, I was telling Valerie next week we'll see about having the internet ready to go on earlier. So that maybe her husband can uh, watch her on the worship team now from Iraq. Isn't that great? And I see we have some soldiers here tonight. So glad to have you all. Lord bless you. Thank you for serving our country. Appreciate you. I want to read something to you as we get into some things tonight. In Romans chapter 3 verse, uh, I want to start off with verse 21. But I'm going to read this in the message translation. So I want you to just listen as I read this in the message. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. Now listen how it words it in the message. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. In all the Old Testament, you read about the God who set things right. This is the word, this is the way. But nobody could ever fulfill the law. And then Jesus came, and it says here, it has become the time now of Jesus setting things right for us. He set it all right for you. What we were incapable to do ourselves through works and trying to obey everything we had, Jesus made the way for us. And it says, and not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've been compelled this long and sorry record of sinners, both us and them, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in the right standing with himself, a pure gift. Listen how it says this. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear the world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. Are you thankful for that? God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it is now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his righteousness. What a message. What a message and what a blessing that he gave us this gift that we're able to live the life he's always desired us to live. As Paul put it, to live pleasing in his sight. And it's by his grace that we're able to do that. 
We're going to get into some areas tonight in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to study while the Bible talks about what is so horrible before the eyes of a holy and a pure God. But I want to start off talking about how thankful we are for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But also, I want to share with you, as I was thinking, you know, we had the sergeant major here a while back, and he shared and wanted us to give an offering to St. Jude's in, in honor of him and his wife. And so we did that. And for Christmas, I sent just a little offering to St. Jude's for, on behalf of my family and myself. We sent just a little bit. And I got an email for, a few emails from them, and they sent pictures of these little children. And, you know, a lot of times little children don't have any hair. They're, they're, they've real slim. And many of you and I, many of us, like in my family, many of you have seen people who have gone through chemotherapy and radiation. Many of us have seen the horrible part of what people hope to be a cure. And I started thinking, this cure is so horrible, the, what it does to people's lives, to show how horrible the disease is. It takes such a hard cure to fight a horrible disease. And we were diseased in sin. And the pain and the suffering that Jesus Christ went through on the cross of Calvary was to show how horrible the disease of sin was to the world and to mankind. He was willing to become that cure for what sent man to hell. He was willing to become that cure that brought the curse and disease upon this world. And I'm thankful tonight that we've been cured, but with a high price. What a high price that he became the cure in his life. And the Bible says to whom much is forgiven, much is loved. And the older we get, the more we start seeing, the more we get to know Christ, the more we start seeing how holy, how pure, and how righteous he is. And what a supreme and awesome sacrifice, priceless gift that he was for us. Because he loved us so much, but he hates the consequences of sin. So we want to study tonight in Romans but before we go there, uh, let's, let's go to another place. And before we do that, I was listening to a song, and it's an old chorus we used to sing. And, and, I, I, and it, I think it goes along with what we're going to read tonight. You remember that song we used to sing, I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say. I need you more, more than ever before. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. More than the air I breathe. More than the song I sing. More than the next heartbeat. More than anything, and as long as lifetime goes by, I'll be by your side. Because I never want to go back to my old life. And what I'm going to read to you out of the book of Romans tonight is the old life we do not want to go back to. Someone's fought cancer and they go, I don't ever want to fight that again. We don't want to ever get under the bondage of the old life and fight that anymore when Christ has set us free. Amen. And so what I want to do start with tonight is 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and I'll get to Romans in a minute, but I want to lay down foundation. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. And when we desire, Lord, I need you more, I need you more, not only... I need you more than the next heartbeat. I need you more than the air I breathe. But if we want to conquer addictions, Lord, I need you more than the next drink. I need you more than that drug. 
That's how you conquer addiction. I need you more than another sexual encounter. I need you more than another fantasy or a lust. I need you more than, than whatever it may be, uh, uh, gossip or slander, the things we're going to talk about tonight. Lord, I need you more than any of those things. That is how we're able to conquer those things and not slip back, as we're going to read in First Peter tonight, not slip back to the old way because, Lord, I need you more than ever before. And I do not want to slip back to the old way. And in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says in the New Living, so think clearly and exercise self-control. Say that with me. Exercise. Say it with me loud. Exercise. Self-control. It says, look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Verse 14. So you must live. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back. Don't slip back into your old way of living to satisfy your own desires. Don't slip back. Just in, under your breath, say, Holy Spirit, God, give me the grace to stand and not slip back to the old way of living. By your grace and power, I'm able to stand. Do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You don't know any, you didn't know any better then. Verse 15. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy, for I am holy. The King James explains it different ways. One of the things that you can get out of this is we become like the spirit or the temptation we submit to. Whatever we submit to, we become like that. And so it's talking here about being obedient, submitting to the life of Christ so we can be like Christ. And I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 7. As this word is used in Romans 1. And, and, and I want to explain some things here. Romans chapter 7 verse 14. Did I say Romans? Mark, please. Yeah, Mark. That's right. Correct. That is correct. Yeah, the book of Mark. The book of Mark, the second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter, seven, Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Mark chapter 7, verse 14, he says, When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him those are the things that defile of man. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. When he entered a house away from a crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, uh, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within to follow man. Now, Jesus made a whole list here. 
as he was teaching about what defiles men from the heart from the inside. And it's amazing that when we get into the book of Romans tonight, these same things are written down through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to warn us about things that we've been delivered from, not to slip back and return to. So we see Jesus is speaking that all of these things, some of them will seem huge sins. Other things will seem nonchalant, things we may do on an ordinary basis uh, daily and not even notice we're doing wrong. But Jesus named it all the same, that it's all sin, and it shows the evilness of heart. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us not to fall into that area. Now look with me, please, in Romans 13. Remember the word leviciousness. Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 13. It says in Romans 13, 13, let us walk properly. Say it with me. Let us walk properly. Or as your mama would say, you better behave, boy. As in the day, not in rivalry, not in drunkenness, not in lasciviousness and lust, not in strife and in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust. Here we see that word, lasciviousness again. Now I'm just going to read to you Romans 4.19. If you're taking notes, you can write this one down too. Romans 4.19. Who being past filling has given themselves over unto lasciviousness. And that means a complete surrender of self to do evil. Lasciviousness. This is the third scripture that, that I'm giving you right here about lasciviousness. A desire or a complete surrender. A complete surrender of oneself to do evil. If you're here tonight, you have not completely yielded yourself to live a life of sin or you wouldn't be here. So God bless you and give you grace. But also this is a wake-up call in any area of our life that we might have lost some self-control. But it says, hold on to it. To work all uncleanliness with greediness. And that word greediness means a greediness to live a lifestyle of sin. And I know nobody here has a greediness or desire or lust to live a lifestyle of sin. We may fall at times, thank God for the grace of God, but we are not greedy. We do not have a, a lust or desire to live a lifestyle of sin. You don't, do you? If you do, come on up here right now. And we'll pray for you. But I know you don't. That's why you're here. You're not hiding. You're not hiding on the internet either. God knows us. Amen. But the spirit of lasciviousness bypasses the monitoring, the monitoring of God. We have, we have cameras all over this place where we monitor and we video in case anything would go wrong or something would happen. Even when you go in the foyer, you're recorded. We got you on tape. You're monitored. When your kids have a little date over, the door's open and they're monitored. There's a camera in there too. I wish. But that word is vicious means a spirit that bypasses the monitoring the, the, of God monitoring our heart. It's lust to deceptive seduction. What the world says is harmless, God calls sin. And the more it goes, it's amazing. The world will say, well, you know, that painting's not pornographic. There's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And that's the world's way of saying, I don't want to even have the idea that God is watching everything I do and judging everything I do. So I want to put that out of my mind to live free as I desire. And that's the dangerous area. And it talks here about whatever opposes self-control or self-discipline affects the character of man. 
Discipleship is built upon obedience. To disobey, you need to write this down, to disobey is to surrender to bondage. Pastor, I don't have any bondages. My family's all Christian. I don't think we have any generational curses. To disobey is to surrender to bondage. Areas of my life that I don't obey God, I'm opening up for to, be, to come under bondage of some demonic stronghold or power. How many know we need an encounter with the power of God to break that? Amen. We need to see the power of the cross and the, and the love of Jesus Christ for us. To perk us up and to give us that zeal to live like Christ with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. To know that my thoughts, the intentions of my heart are being monitored by God and he's keeping record. And so I want to be free from that. So we have to be careful not to let our minds be shaped by this world. Because what I submit to molds me after its image. So how many of you know we want to be submitted after God? It's amazing. I don't want to get into detail because it's a private situation of a family. But some of you have gone through it. But it's amazing that you know, even our judges and even the court system. What is moral isn't important to court anymore. What is right, and I, I, was in a, I was in a court this week, what is right to the world and to the judge is wrong with God. And that judge will stand before God. He will be accountable for what he laughs at, mocks at. One day he will be laughed and mocked at about it. We've got to pray for righteous judges, judges that fear God. But they don't respect morals. They don't respect what the Bible says is the best for children. They want to, they want to take that away. And it's a shame to see that. Here we are in the Bible Belt, but we believe God. And thank God for parents who want to raise their children to take a stand. Even though they're mocked and laughed at, we still know what the Word of God teaches and we know what is right. Amen. So I'm going to give you some words out of Romans chapter 129. I'm, I'm going to uh, read over them and give you the Greek definitions tonight. This is going to be more like a study. But these are things we want to be careful of and not to fall back into. And so I'm not going to worry about giving you the Greek definition because I don't speak Greek. I speak Spanish. But uh, I'll give you the English word and you can look them up. And in any type of commentary, all the commentaries I read, I read about four or five commentaries and they all have the same definitions and the same Greek words, so just look it up and you'll see it. But starting in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 29, it uses the word unrighteousness. So if you're taking notes, I want to start off with the word unrighteousness. And that word unrighteous means injustice, wrongdoing, evil doing of any and every kind of evil. It is the opposite of righteousness. It's missed. It's unrighteousness is mistreating God in his word for what he deserves. It's acting unjustly toward God and toward man. It's failing to treat God and man as someone should treat them. Whenever I'm doing something that's wrong, something unjustly before God, I'm not treating God as he deserves. The word all unrighteousness there in chapter 1 verse 29 means of being filled with unjust treatment. Listen to this. It means, the word unrighteous means to focus on oneself more than focusing on the creator of the universe. Unrighteousness means focusing on what I desire more than what God desires or more than what the word desires for me to live like. It's totally taking the boundaries off and just being free that I'm going to do as I desire and God is not in none of my thoughts. And Romans speaks that. It means grasping at everything and all attention at the thing that one desires to possess. 
It's ignoring and abusing the grace and the forgiveness of God. So that's what I'm going to give you for unrighteousness. And if I go too fast, you can look it up on the web or get with me later and I'll let you see these notes here or uh, look it up in a concordance. But let me go to the next word. Fornication is in chapter uh, 1, verse 29. Fornication means it's a broad form including all kinds of immoral and sexual acts. It's premature sex. It's sex outside of marriage. It's adultery. It's uh, abnormal sex. It's all kinds of sexual vices. And so, not just the area of adultery, but dealing and dabbling into things that we shouldn't be dabbling in or watching or doing is all in the area of fornication. And fornication is an abomination before God. So we need to repent of that and ask God that we can live holy and righteous before Him. The next word I want to give you is wickedness. The word wickedness means to be bad and to inflict injury. It means to be actively evil. It means to do mischief. It means to trouble others and cause them harm. It means to be dangerous and destructive. That's all in wickedness. The word wickedness means malice, hatred, and ill will. It's active wickedness. Listen to this. It's a desire inside of the heart of man to hurt and to harm people. It's also a desire to corrupt people. A wicked person is a person who wants to corrupt uh, kids or, or want to corrupt other people or friends. It's a person who actually pursues others to seduce them. And it's one of the names of Satan, the evil one. So that's why Jesus said when you practice wickedness, you're being like the fa your father, the devil. Because he's the evil one. And when we do wickedness, we are called the evil one. And how many know we don't want to be named the same name with the devil? Amen. Okay, the next word I want to give you, it's still in verse 29. All of these are in verse 29, but we also read them in other verses. It's the word to covet. Now, this word covetousness is very interesting. It means a lustful state to get. It's a driving force. It's a lustful state to get the accursed thing. I've got to have it. Everything within me is driving me to do it. And it's the word we see that Anak in the, in the days of Joshua where he got the accursed thing from Jericho when the walls had fell. And then him and his family were destroyed because he hid the accursed thing under his tent. But he told Joshua it was so beautiful. It was so awesome. I had to have it. And it was a lust to get to hide within his house. But it cost him and his family their lives. It's a lust to get. It means a lust for more and more. It's an appetite for something. That's the thing about sin is that sin's just not satisfied with one or two or three times. They say that like with crack, you try it one time and you get that first high, but then, or, or uh, meth or some of this stuff, you get that first high, but then you want to just find it again. And they spend all their paychecks in two or three days trying to find it again. Any type of sin, any type of these things that it talks here in the book of Romans, it's addictive. And it opens up the door. All these things open the door for a spirit of covetousness, which is an appetite more and more. And it's just not coveting uh, the car or the house or the job or the wife or the husband. It's coveting more and more, uh, more, more to smoke, more to drink, more, more, more to, uh, to dip, more to shoot. It's desiring more and more. It's an appetite for something. It's a love of possessing. Covetousness, a love of possessing. This is mine. If you ever watched uh, The Lord of the Rings, that guy with his ring, precious. It's, it's a love to, to get, to have. It's a cry of give me, give me. The word covetous means to grasp, 
grasping, craving after for possessions, pleasure, power, and fame. Covetous means to lack restraint. And Proverbs speaks much about that. It lacks the ability to discriminate. It wants to have in order to spend in pleasure and luxury. It's unsatisfying lust and craving of the flesh that cannot be satisfied. It is a lust craving so deep that a person finds his happiness in things and pleasure instead of God. Therefore, it becomes idolatry. It's an intense appetite for gain. It's a passion for pleasure and things that can bring its active, aggressive, and grasping covetousness. So we need to renounce any area of that and be free from that in the name of Jesus and not slip back into that. That's why I thank you so much for coming on Wednesday night to get a hold of the Word of God so we don't slip back into those things. That we stand and we live and we stay in the freedom that Christ has set us free because these things are real and they're out there for us every day. And any of us, myself included, any of us, anybody, we're all capable of falling. We've got to stay close to Calvary. We've got to say, I need you more, more every day. I need you more than these things that my flesh crave. I need you more than these things that the pleasure that sin for a season brings. I need you more than what my mind or my thoughts drive me to. I need you more than any of that because you satisfy me deep inside. Amen? The next word in verse 29 is maliciousness. Maliciousness. One translation says viciousness. It means the turn of the soul to the worse. Someone asks about somebody, how are they doing? They're getting worse a lot of times when they're sick. Well, that's what uh, maliciousness happens. We, we get worse and worse in the stages of sin that we live in. It means ill will, grudge. It means that a man has turned his heart completely over to evil. I don't want any more restraints. We're just going to do everything. We're just going to have fun, and we're not going to worry about nothing. We'll repent later on. We're in a new year. Let's just take the restraints off. Let's just let's enjoy life. We don't know how long we have. And after all, we can repent on the deathbed. There is no promise of repentance on the deathbed. Salvation is tonight. Amen? The next word in verse 6 is envy. It goes beyond jealousy. It's a spirit. The Bible speaks about the spirit of envy. That wants not only the things another person has, but begrudges the facts that that person has them. That it wants not only the things taken away from the person, but wants him to suffer through the loss of them. It's horrible. He lost his car. Oh, someone deep inside, that is so good. I can't wait to see how sad he is because he lost it. He lost his wife, he lost his kids, he lost his job. And you've seen the person suffer because of that. That's evilness. Every thought expresses grief that another person has something, whether honor, recognition, or, posi or position. Also in verse 29 is the word murder. Can you imagine all these words are in this one verse? And we could just read right over them, but not tonight. And you can get the CD. Don't you love to get a CD of this type of message? Amen. Murder. Jesus said that hate is murder. If a man regards doing the deed in his heart, he's already done them with the intention. It speaks of being warped and twisted. It's to kill, to take the life of another. Murder is a sin against the sixth commandment. 
Man regards the deed, but God sees the intention. Boy, that is deep when he said even anger is considered as murder. Well, I didn't murder anybody. You hear people say, I'm a good person. I never murdered anybody. Have you ever been to the point of anger wishing they were dead? Well, yeah, then you're guilty of murder. That's what Jesus said. But I didn't do it. No, but the intention in the heart was there, and it's the intention that defiles the person that opens the door for sin. Even the attention is considered the same as the deed. Jesus says, it's not just looking at a woman, but it's looking at a woman as in a lustful way. You've already committed adultery in your heart. It's not just the deed, it's the intention of the thought behind. Holy Spirit, help us, amen. Continuing in verse 29, another word, debate. The word debate means strife and discord. That's why we don't put up with strife and discord. It means strife and discord. It means contention, fighting, struggling, quarreling, dissension. How many know, how many know these things never been in the church? It means that a man fights against another person in order to get something, a position, a promotion, property, honor, or recognition. But he fights in a dishonest and an evil way. That's debate. Continuing with verse 29. The word deceit. Deceit. This is interesting. The word deceit is the Greek word dolos. This is interesting. It means the mixing to make something look like it's all original, but it's mixed. For example, wine. They take the wine in a wine bottle, and they pour some of the wine out, and they pour water back into it. It weakens the wine, and it, it's, that's deceit. It's the mixing to appear to be all one thing, but it's been mixed. It's not pure anymore. So we see the word deceit, it means to mix. People who stoop underhand methods to get their way and mislead. It means to beguile. It means to be crafty and deceitful. It means to mislead, to give false impressions. Wow. False impressions. False acts and influences. It is a man who twists the truth to get his own way. He plots and deceives, doing whatever has to be done to get whatever he's after. I know nobody here has been guilty of that, thank God. They all, that's the Sunday morning bunch. But aren't you glad you don't have deception, amen? Amen. Verse 29, steal. Malignity. This is interesting. This word here is an evil disposition. But this word comes from a Greek word which means to construct for evil gain. I'm doing the blueprints in my mind on how to make you fall. I'm just not going to come right after you. I'm going to draw out the blueprints and I'm going to try to start setting the right scenarios. I'm going to try to send the right cards. I'm going to try to send the right letters. I'm going to try to wear the right perfume. I'm going to try to send out the right vibes. I'm going to try to act the right way. I'm going to be a gentleman now and open your door while we're dating. I'm going to, I'm going to do all these different things. But I'm not interested in you. I'm interested in what I can get out of you. 
So I've got this blueprint in my mind, and I'm figuring out how the different ways of how I can trap you because there's something I want to get, but I know it's not going to be that easy, so I'm going to start working it now because my goal is not now, but my goal is down the road so that I can, I can cause you to lose, to, to leave your husband or your wife and get you for myself, or I'm going to try to get you to, to start to quit your job because I know that I'm next in line, and if I can make you hate the job you're in, I may end up getting your position. So I'm not just going to tell you to quit your job, but I'm going to start setting things up in a certain way to make you want to quit your job. It means construction for gain and set up for evil. It's from an evil nature. It is a spirit full of evil, malice, and injury. It's a person who always looks for the worst in other people and always passes on the worst about them. Ooh. Ooh. It is a person who is so often ruined often ruins other people, both in reputation and body and in mind and in spirit. This is interesting. This is just not a person with a gift here. This is a person that is so full of an evil spirit that has given themselves over through these other sins that have come to a point that, that, that they are in an area where they are a Jezebel spirit, for example, an Ahab spirit, that they're able to manipulate and control and they're able to control you in such an evil way to get you under their, their uh, control. And they can even try to ruin you, not only reputation, but they'll try to ruin you in the area of your body, of your spirit, and of your mind. Try to get into your mind and make you believe a lie. That's why you've got to always believe what Jesus says about you. That's why the Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, you've got to fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And don't fix your eyes upon man. Don't fix your eyes upon man. Don't put a man in the position of God. There is only one who ever has lived a perfect and pure life. That's why we must always study his word and study him and stay close to him so that when people come, we have the, the Holy Spirit can give us a discerning of spirit to be careful and watch for people who are trying to get into our minds and ruin us through speaking to others, but also trying to get inside of our mind and break our hearts. It's a person so full of evil that he is always running others down either by word or by violence. Mm. Verse 29. But that's a long verse. Whisperers. Now this is interesting. Bless you. Whisperers. Let me just say this about whispers. And the first word in verse 30 is the word backbiters. Let me tell you the, the, a little difference between these two words. The word whisperer means someone who whispers in the ear. The word backbiter means someone who raises a trumpet to its mouth and tells it to everybody. A whisper is just as bad as an outlie gossiper. Look, you're a brother in the Lord, so I'm going to tell you, but don't you tell nobody else. That's a whisper. A gossiper. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? But they're both evils, according to Romans chapter 1. A whisperer means secret gossiper, secret slander, secret backbiter, and a secret, listen to this, is the word murmurer. Over and over, I believe in, in just three chapters in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about murmurers 14 times, and that's why God, so many of them died in the desert because they were murmurers. Nope. Church, listen. Be careful about even murmuring by yourself. 
Nobody loves me in that church. God says, you're a liar and you're in sin. Nobody treats me right in that church. Nobody appreciates me. You're murmuring. And God says, you're a liar and you're murmuring. Nobody hears you, but he hears you. And that comes underneath this word whisper. So we don't want to murmur anymore, do we? No, we don't want to do that no more. No. It's a person who whispers behind another's back, chewing and tearing them up. It passes on tales about others, whether it's true or not, and it destroys the reputation of others. How many people are in hell now because they committed suicide because somebody spread rumors and lies about them? Oh, let me give you the definition of the word backbiter. It means the word drifts from the quiet and secret slanderer. It's loud and open. It's a person who broadcasts the tale. Again, whether the tale is true or not, it doesn't matter. It still destroys the person. The backbiting slanderer burns within to tell the gossip to everyone. It, it's a, a passion. It's a desire to tell. So I got to find somebody to, to tell. Kind of like, heard about them three preachers that uh, were in the boat fishing. They're from different denominations. I like to tell jokes because it starts getting too serious in here and I feel like I'm getting cut up up here, so let me tell the joke. So anyway, these three preachers are fishing and one pastor says, listen guys, we're buddies, so I'm gonna confess my sins to y'all so y'all can pray for me, but I got a trouble with Marlboro. Man, I, I can't leave Marlboro alone. I'm just addicted to cigarettes and the other guy says, well, I tell you what, you know, I'm addicted to drinking and uh, since you're talking about what you got, I got trouble with drinking, so I thought I'd tell y'all and y'all can pray for me. And the third guy was quiet, and they're just fishing and fishing. He's not saying anything. And finally, the other two can't take it anymore, and they say, hey, now we know you're not perfect. He said, well, I just wanted to be quiet because I love to gossip, and I can't get back to, oh, I can't wait till we get back so I can tell about you too. Like it, a smoke and drink. Burns within them. The next thing we see in verse 30 is haters of God. This is something. It's not only hating God, but it's being hateful to God. God I love you no you don't if you loved me you would answer my prayer but I love you no you don't you wouldn't have let me lose that you wouldn't have let that happen if you loved me that word haters of God means hateful to God it's known defying him Listen to this. The word haters of God means to dislike. Not only, not, it means to dislike the commandments. I wish God didn't put that in the word. Haters of God means to dislike the commandments and the restraints of God. Why did he have to put that in there? That's what that word there means. Dislike the commandments and restraints of God. It's one who wants nothing to do with God and his restrictions or his laws. It's one who wants a license to do exactly as he wishes who wants to be the God of his own life, doing his own thing as he wishes, determining both what he should and should not do. You're not going to tell me what to do. Then you're a hater of God. All them preachers do is tell us what we're not supposed to do. It's amazing how many people, uh, even the last few services, come. And it's amazing, even sometimes single men come and Look around, if there's not a lot of single women, they get up and leave before the worship even. 
Because they're not coming for Jesus. They're coming to see if they can hook up. Well, you better hook up to Jesus. Amen. Amen. You better hook up to Jesus. Where's that fine little mom? That little mom going to bring you to hell. Verse 30. Despiteful. Despiteful. Now this, oh my God, I don't understand this. But this will help you understand what you see on TV with the politics many times. The word despiteful means I'm proud of defiling God. I'm proud that I could raise my fist and where's the lightning? I'm proud that I could take the Ten Commandments down and... I'm proud that I can make my own laws. And I'm proud that I can dishonor the uh, men and women of God. And I'm proud that I can tear down church. I'm proud that I can speak openly. Nothing happens to me. Despise God and be proud of it. It also means the pleasure in hurting God and hurting others. Pleasure in hurting God and hurting others. It means cruel words and wrath. Not only with words, but listen to this. This is the Greek definition. It means not only being cruel with words, it also means being cruel with facial expressions. That's the definition out of the Greek. Not only being cruel with words, but it means being cruel with facial expressions. It means to insult and to defile. The spirit of spite. The spirit of attack and assault. Verbally or physical. Despising, attacking, inflicting injury either by word, act, or by facial expressions. It's one who lives his own life as he wishes, ignoring both God and men. Lives as though his rights and affairs are the only rights and affairs which matter. How other people feel don't matter. That's, wrong with, that's what's wrong with that guy in the office. What's that guy, Steve? Michael. That's Michael's problem. We don't watch the office anymore, but that's Michael's problem. It's all about him. Y'all know who Michael is, though. The word despiteful means acts too independent in life that he dares God or men to get in his way. I dare God to get in my way. That's what you're seeing openly now. But how many know God knew how to handle Sodom and Gomorrah? How many know that when they came to rape the angels, the angels caused them to be blind? Prideful that they can despise God. Does what he wants when he wants, even if it hurts and destroys others. I got a license, medical license, to abort these babies. And it's my job. And if anybody's at fault, it's the lady who wants the abortion. Stop trying to make me feel guilty. I, I, I went to school, and I have a right to give abortion. If the woman comes to me, I, I cannot deny her. Oh, you're despiteful now. But you're shedding innocent blood, and you will, be, you will stand just as she will. Spirit of hurts and harms to others. Also in verse 30 is the word pride. Self-exaltation, conceit, arrogance, being haughty, putting oneself above others, looking down upon others, scorn, contempt. It means to show oneself, to lift one's head above another, to hold contempt for another, to compare, to compare oneself with another. Pride can be hidden in the heart as well as openly displayed, but God resists the proud. The next word in verse 30 is boasters. I'm going to try to finish with this verse here. 
two more, I think. The word boasters means pretenders. Wow. Braggarts. Paul says, I, I boast only in God. It means boasters, a person who boasts in what he has, boasts in what he can do, pretends to have what he does not have or pretends to have done what he has not done. Bragging, an achievement, and anything to impress others. A person who feels the need to push himself above others even if it involves pretension, deception, make-believe, or lies. Wow. Aren't you glad you're not that? Inventors of evil, verse 30 continues, inventors of evil, inventors of new sins, more sensational forms of excitement. This reminds me of, a, I wonder what David Carradine would say if he could speak from hell. That having a young, beautiful wife and just enjoying intimacy the right way wasn't enough. His sin found him out. And it was so humbling. Even, the, even the, guy, uh, the guy who sells all the stuff on TV seemed like a good old guy with a dyed black beard. I got a lot of room to talk, but anyway. You know the guy on TV, what's his name? Billy Mays. Billy Mays. You know, good, he seemed like a good man. But when he died, what did they find? A cocaine user. Hmm. Looking for new forms of excitement. New thrills. I tell you what, you can, you can learn to get excited about Jesus, church. You know, I don't understand those churches that have people dancing. That's because you're still involved dancing in the bars. You'd get in love with Jesus. You'd, you'd love to dance for Jesus. You can't keep still when the Holy Ghost comes on you. I don't understand why we got to have them flags. Well, if you can run a flag in a rodeo, you can have a flag in church. Amen. Ah, uh, church is so boring. It, I, I've been raised at church. Church is not, I've been serving Jesus since 1969. I've never been bored. If you're bored of serving Jesus, Brother Mike, we'll send him to another country. You won't be bored anymore. You have to fight just to stay alive. It's a person who is tired in the old forms of sin, so he feels he needs to seek and find out new ways and new vices. Oh, that type, that's, that's, I'm bored with that. I'm bored with her. I'm bored with him. Got to find new devices. So let's rent some of those movies and let's find out some new things that we can do to bring excitement. And that's what they talk about. We're just experimenting because we got to bring excitement into our marriage. No, you're opening up for a spirit. Because the good old way is the best way. And you don't need no videos and you don't need no instruction manual and you don't need a bunch of junk. That opens the door for a bunch of devils because what you get now, you're just going to want more later and just going to open the doors for new things. So listen, church. Watch it. Don't you be going in those stores, buying all that junk, and open the door for devils. That stuff has attachments to it. We burnt some stuff back here. And you should have seen all them little to adult toys. You should have seen the fireworks and the demons come out of that and the stuff flying all over. I don't know why I got there. But anyway. That word inventions of evil things. The old is boring. So we're going to find something new. Hmm. I went to a funeral of a man who was married with his wife for 64 years yesterday. 
He was in love with the girl he met at the skating rink. And she was enough to satisfy him for 60, was it 64? 64 years. I bet he didn't need Mr. Gadget. (laughs) And I'll share this word with you and I quit because I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) Disobedient to pastors. No, that's not, that's the wrong translation. Disobedient, let me finish here. Y'all are nervous out there. I'm nervous up here. Disobedient to parents. Refusing to do what one parent say. Rebelling against one's parents. No, uh, throwing disrespectful remarks to parents. Rejecting a parental instruction. Dishonoring parental examples. A child who disobey his parent is wide open for all forms of evil. God deliver us from doing that and deliver our children. And, and church, let me just share this with you. We talk about the, these young people and all that, but listen, it doesn't matter how old your mom and daddy is, don't you disrespect them. I don't care if you're popping your mamas in their 80s. You're still their child. Don't talk back disrespectful to them. I still wish I had my parents to love and respect. But when they were here, I did. And God has blessed me. And God will bless you. Don't talk disrespectful about your parents. Even if they're not saved, they're still your mom and your dad. Don't be disrespectful. i got to say this too because she's in here. Don't be disrespectful towards your mother-in-laws. you got to be respectful towards your... Make sure you buy them good gifts and build fires for them when they come to your house and feed them once in a while. Make them happy. Don't disrespect the parents. So how many of this was an interesting study? Amen. Amen. It's kind of nice to uh, squirm a little bit in your seat. It warms it up. (laughs) Let's stand. I'm sorry I went 10 minutes over tonight, but I had to get two verses done. Is that okay? Next week we'll do 31. Verse 31. Y'all coming back, huh? You don't. We want to write down everybody who's here because we'll go visit you and and, and, uh, wonder why you didn't want to hear verse 31. You know, verse 31 seems like things we don't consider very bad as the others, but they're dangerous. So let's just close our eyes and bow our heads and before the heavenly, holy heavenly Father and Holy Spirit that is present. And Father, we do thank you as we've studied tonight of how you've redeemed us from the old way, that we are a new creation created in the image of Jesus Christ. But Lord, you've warned us, Peter warned us, Paul has warned us, Jesus warned us about slipping in some of these old ways. So we read on them tonight just to remind our frail human nature to take heed and be careful about slipping into these old ways that open the doors for deeper disobedience and curses and mindsets and strongholds that become harder and harder to break. You told us to be holy, for you are holy. And we come tonight and we repent for any and all of these sins mentioned tonight in your word. Thank you that you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for the precious blood and the power of that blood and the power of an encounter with the blood in the name of Jesus to free us from the vices the thoughts, the mindset, the impulses, the addictions 
that are contrary to you. And Father, you know our heart tonight. We're, we're priests and worshipers in this house. Our desire is not to dishonor you in any way, but to honor you. So Lord, forgive us. Give us the grace wherewith we stand. And help us to serve you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, body. We break the strongholds off of every part of our body and its members. We break the strongholds off of our minds and our thoughts and our emotions. And we decree that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And we establish ourselves in the freedom not to return again to the bondage and slavery of the old man. We praise you for the freedom in Christ Jesus. And the grace to stand. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Your head is still bowed. Your eyes are still closed. No one's looking around. The question I have for anyone right now, you're here tonight. The most important question, are you ready to meet Jesus if you would die? If you would die right now, tonight, when you'd leave this place, are you ready to die? And Do you know if you'd go to heaven or do you have fear that you would go to hell? If you're here tonight and you need to get your life right with Christ, I want to invite you to raise your hand and say, I need Jesus to come into my life and rescue me and change me. I need a change in my life. If that is you, just raise your hand right there where you are. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. I need Jesus to come to my heart, come into my life and change me. I need forgiveness of sins. Anyone at all here tonight. Just raise your hand right there where you are. I need you, Lord Jesus. Anyone at all. If you're saved and you know it, raise your hand and shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Well, listen, we love you. We bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for coming to get the teaching of the book of Romans. Because Paul's going to ask you when you get to heaven, did you read my books? And you better tell him, oh, Lord, our pastor took six years to preach one book. <laughs> took me over three years to preach Ephesians. Now we're going to see how long it takes to preach Romans. But anyway, it's good. And it's all truth. And it's all to protect us and save us. So I love you, and I'll bless you in the name of Jesus. If you need prayer, we'll be here to pray with you. Sunday morning, Sunday school at 9.15, regular church at 10.30. We're going to come and have a good time. Love you. God bless you, and see you then. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>